0: Welcome to Data and Dev, where your hosts, Melissa and John, join us as we cover the broad landscape of technology through interviews and analogy. Our goal this season is to talk to real people doing real jobs in the tech field and gain some inspiration maybe some encouragement as we hear their stories i'm always fascinated by origin stories how did a particular person get to where they are why did they make the decisions they made what challenges did they face along the way and how did they persevere through those challenges for those working in tech there are a few common paths into that first tech job for today's guest that path was through a boot camp now, opinions about boot camps are quite varied. There's lots of haters, sometimes with legitimate gripes, as there are schools out there that are predatory in nature, but sometimes those gripes aren't so valid. So, we figured let's hear directly from a boot camp grad. Emily and I overlapped during our time at the Flatiron School. Yep, I am also a boot camp grad. We both had some frustrations about our experience and our time there while we were going through the the school as well as during the job search process. Neither of us solely had rose-colored glasses on as we were going through Flatiron. So it was really great to catch up with Emily in this conversation and to see that in hindsight, now with a few years into her career, her perspective on Flatiron is very positive. I'll let her fill you in on the rest. So I introduce to you Emily Morgan, Senior Front End Engineer. So today with us, we have Emily. Emily is an old classmate, I guess, of mine at Flatiron School. We met there and she has pursued a career in tech. So we're going to hear about her journey into tech today. Emily, you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and where you are? Sure,
1: yeah. I am in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm currently a senior front-end engineer at Revelstoke Security.
0: And Revelstoke is a newer job for you, right? How long have you been at this current company?
1: I started in December, so just six months at this place. Okay.
0: Prior to working as a software engineer, tell us a little bit about your professional background.
1: Yeah, so before I made the switch, I was a a college English professor. I had gotten a master's degree and then moved to Kansas City, Missouri, and was an English professor at a community college there, and then moved to Richmond, Virginia, and worked also at a community college there. I taught mostly writing classes and then one literature class every semester, and that would change, so a different type of literature every time we went through, but that was a 10-year-long career for me,
0: and then I switched. (laughs) And then you switched. That's a long time, and that's a lot of moving, more than I realized. Uh, What I guess what prompted you to pursue that direction of career to begin with? And then what prompted the geographic changes?
1: So the career, I, you know, I went to college and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. The only class that I like is my English class. So I was like, this is a great idea to major in the one thing that I like. So that's what I did. And I got to the end of it, and I still didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And teaching was kind of the only thing that I could picture myself doing. So, you know, in the roundabout varied ways that we pursue paths, I was a teacher's aide in a kindergarten classroom for a year. And let me tell you, the first week, that we had the students there. So the first week, the teachers just like set up their classrooms. And then the first week, the kids were actually there. I knew this was not the job for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I stuck it out for the year because I had signed a contract and I felt like that was important. But I, I knew that wasn't what I was going to do. I knew that didn't work. So I decided it would be a great idea to teach adults and so that's when I went back and got my master's and actually had a specialization in teaching at the community college and I actually got to have some experience teaching while I was doing my master's so I knew like yes this one will work okay <laughs> um, and so then then that launched me into the career okay and you asked about, the moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I took the first job in Kansas City because I graduated in 2008, right as the Great Recession was, you know, underway. And it's where I could get a job. And so I moved, got a job. It was great. It was a really good experience for me. I stayed there for six years, And then I moved to Richmond because I wanted to be back closer to my family. So my parents live here in North Carolina. I had a sister and a brother who were also here in North Carolina. And so it worked out to be a little bit closer at that point.
0: I love that you started education at the pretty much youngest level you could. And when that was clearly not the path, you jumped to the other end of the age spectrum. You yeah. skipped all of the elementary, middle school and high school, and just went to adults. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I did, since you say that I did, when I was in doing my undergrad, I worked for a program for middle school students. And so, you know, I, I had a little bit of experience.
0: You had a taste with, there.
1: The with variety And middle school is hard. <laughs> There's a lot going on in their lives. So.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've heard it like kind of referred to a little bit as just sort of helping them transition to high school, like maybe drop in some, some knowledge, but mostly just getting through to the high school age. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you were in Richmond teaching. What prompted you to say, I I think I want a career change.
1: Yeah. So I had a department chair who was wonderful and she was getting ready to look at retiring. So she wasn't planning on retiring that semester. She was just, you know, like. In the next year, two years, you know, not right away, but, you know, it's coming up. And she stopped by my office one day and she said to me, you know, we were talking about what had happened in our classes that day. And she said to me, this has gotten so much harder. And she was like, when I started, when I was 27 years old, this was not the way it is now. And she's like, the last five years, this has gotten harder every single year. And I, I agreed with her that like over that span of time that I had been teaching, it had gotten harder. And I looked at her and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> she is 67 years old we both started teaching at the same time so like we were the same age when we started teaching she was 27 i was 27 when i started and i was like i'm looking at you and i'm 34 right now so this was obviously a couple years ago it's like i'm 34 i would have to do this for 34 more years oh, I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, it, you know, it was this moment that you're standing in my office and I'll never forget and like, just feeling like, oh no, oh, I know I can't do that. And so I started like exploring, okay, what are the options? Because if this isn't going to be it, Like, what else can I do? And it kind of took me down this path at first of, like, could I still take this, like, English degree writing background thing that I've got going on and turn that into some other kind of career? And then, like, then I started looking at, like, well what if I just overhaul my whole life (laughs) and like go super extreme to something completely unrelated.
0: And you landed on tech. Did you consider other overhauls? Like I could imagine going in a few different, I mean, you could have went back to be a doctor. That would have been a major overhaul.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I did consider, like, I considered a lot of different things and, you know, you kind of get to the point that you're like, what's the most important? What do I need? And so for me, what I need is stability, consistency, and a paycheck. And like, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who can be like, oh yeah, I can, I can freelance, you know, it's no big deal. If things are a little inconsistent month to month, you know, they've got, whoever they've got in their life, partners or whoever's there that they, you know, can help support them. And like, I don't have that. So to me, like, jumping off and going freelance on something, I was like, you know, that's not gonna fly. It's just me and I have to be able to pay the mortgage or the, you know, whatever. And I need health care. And so I, I had gone through some major health things and I was like I am not going to be able ever again to be in a situation where I don't have health insurance and so you know those were kind of factors and you sit and look at okay like what what do I need if I'm overhauling my life what do I need if I'm going to jump away from this thing that's hard but actually pretty stable for me you know and so that was kind of the thing was I, I didn't want to jump into something like freelance writing that would be different every month doesn't provide health care that kind of thing and so I actually my sister and my brother-in-law are in tech and my sister was like you could do this I was like, I don't think so. I'm an English major. I don't think you understand like that my brain doesn't work like that. And she was like, yes, it does. Stop. And she was like, you know, just try it out. And so that was kind of the big, and she and her husband also said it to me and they were like, you know, if you want a good job that, you can stay in for a really long time. You know that's going to be fairly stable. I hesitate saying that, but like, is.
0: given given all the recent yeah. news yeah. of recent yeah.
1: news, but yeah. you know it, it can be stable-ish. Uh, but you know it'll provide healthcare, that kind of stuff. They're like, you know, you should really think about this. I was like, I think you guys are crazy, and they're like, look, go on Code Academy and try it out. Just try it out. See if you like it. And so that actually is the push that got me started down the tech path. And I, like that year started doing Code Academy, did a bunch of courses, you know, built projects. They have their whole like, you can do a portfolio thing. So I went through all the pieces that I could with that. And I was like, wow, I kind of like this. This is fun. And so then it really, being completely honest, it took like a year and a half. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to try doing a boot camp. And so I launched into that, quit my job, walked away, and started Flatiron School.
2: So during that, uh during that time you said about a year and a half there between first getting exposed and going to boot camp. So were you continuing to to try it out or were you looking at other options for career changes?
1: I kept trying it out. So during that whole time I was still working full time. I had started freelance writing on the side a little bit, you know, doing different pieces of like whatever work I could get. And then I would spend like evenings and weekends doing Code Academy. And then I got connected with the Women Who Code Network in Richmond, which was just really a great group of people who were, you know, super encouraging and supportive. And they pointed me to Free Code Camp So I spent a lot of time that year going through Code Academy courses, doing free code camp course. And then I was like, well, I'll build some things. So I had a friend who has always had this idea of like doing a consulting business. So I, you know, talked to her and set up a website for her and then my sister's an artist so I did like a website for her just to show off her artwork and so I did you know random things like that whatever I could find I was just like yeah this is great do something a little practical and then by that point I was like okay I think I could make a go of this as a job and so that's when I decided to do the boot camp
2: gotcha that's great
0: there are lots of people who use, you mentioned Free Code Academy, uh, Free Code Camp, mm-hmm. and a lot of people use that material almost as a boot camp.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Talk about the decision between that approach versus going to a boot camp that had a tuition uh, attached to it. So
1: to me, Free Code Camp was great as like a learn some JavaScript thing. And, you know, like, let's set a foundation. Let's learn basics of the languages. Let's learn some HTML and CSS. Let's learn some JavaScript. They did some jQuery also. And so that's like, like get the foundation. And what I always felt like was, well, I mentioned, I, I did these couple of websites for friends and family. And like the thing to me was, okay, my friend who wants to do consulting wants to like collect people's emails and add them to like a newsletter so that she can send this out. And like where Free Code Camp and Code Academy didn't get me is like, okay, like I got an input form. A field, I've got a form. I can hit the submit button. Where does it go? And those, the free ones never got me there. And like one of the first, you know, few weeks of Flatiron, it was like Ruby and SQL, and I was like, oh, that's where it goes this finally finally makes sense to me that like yes there is a place where this goes you know and to me i felt like i like deciding to do the boot camp i just felt like i needed more more information more background knowledge than i was getting from the free things
0: that makes sense. I've heard feedback from just very or various places or blog posts or whatever, just opinions on on this whole space that there is a lot of beginner material, free beginner material out there. Mm-hmm. And then there's expert material. You you can get into the weeds with blog posts that go really deep, but there is a, a kind of a hole for free material that takes you from the beginner to where does that thing go? and and bridges that gap. And and that's where a lot of the boot camps or or other paid resources uh, seem to fill in. That makes sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, why there's a lot, there's many boot camps out there. There's probably some that existed when you and I went through Flatiron that don't exist anymore. There's some that didn't exist at the time that do. Uh, But as you were making a decision about what boot camp to, to put your time into and your money, how did you land on Flatiron? So
1: I did actually apply to several. And so then it's like, oh, let's make a tough decision. I'm like, which one are we going to go with? And for me, it kind of got down to a choice between Flatiron or a program that was based in Richmond where they did an apprenticeship with you. So they bring you in, teach you, you know, the information for however many weeks, and then place you as an apprentice in a company. And the reason Flatiron went out over the other boot camps was it was online, self-paced, and so like I, I didn't have to cram, you know, it all into specific time. And at that point, they were offering a scholarship to women. And they <laughs> yes, they were. Yes, they were. And money is good. So getting that scholarship really did make a huge difference. And anyway, the reason that it went out over the apprenticeship was there, was, there were just so many people who wanted to do the apprenticeship that they had a hard time find enough placements. And so then they couldn't take on a new student because they hadn't placed, you know, the last crop of five or 10 students. And I thought it was a great program. I, I think it would have been great if it had worked out for me timing wise, it just didn't. So I decided to go ahead and do the thing that like was there and available right now, as opposed to waiting for who knows how long it would have been.
0: So. Yeah, and Flatiron does offer uh, in-person. So for people listening, there are in-person options in different cities. I did the online as well. I didn't wanna have to move. I didn't wanna have to cram it in. I wanted it to work around my schedule. And that online option made it really easy and flexible and it sounds like you are in the same situation.
1: Yeah, I felt the same way.
0: Now you quit work though, to do Flatiron. So you were, that, <laughs> <laughs> that's a huge leap of faith. Like you really were all in on this decision and this transition. And after you spoke about the importance for you to, to make sure you had medical insurance, like there's a big risk in general. And then it's, I would think an added risk to take this uh, leap. So why did you go all in that way versus continuing to work full-time and doing flat iron on the side?
1: That's a really good question. And I kind of feel like the answer is because I was crazy. <laughs> like, why did nobody tell me? Hey, you don't <laughs> have to do this. Yeah, but also I, I think my mindset at the time was, if I go ahead and do this full time, I can finish in four months and get a job. And if I, the thing about teaching is you signed a contract, you're committed for a full school year. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I had already had to like apply to the apprenticeship program and say, Oh, I can't do it until May. And then, like, it was again. Oh, I signed a contract to teach over the summer. I can't do anything until the contract ends at the middle of August. You know, if I sign up for another year, I can't do anything until May again. But if I quit and I do this thing full time, maybe I could have a new job in six months instead of waiting again you know, for 10 months or for 12 months, you know? And so I think I had gotten a little antsy.
0: And we'll we'll dive into your job hunt uh, a bit later. But since you just mentioned you were thinking about time frame, how long was it between when you quit work, when you quit teaching, to when you started your first day as a software engineer?
1: I quit teaching that August. And my first day as a software engineer was the following June. So about eight,
0: I can't do math very well. (laughs) So (laughs) 10 months, eight months, under a year for sure. Yeah. Under a year, 10 months. Okay.
1: So the way that all played out was I quit the job in August. So I taught that summer session, that ended in August and I quit. Started Flatiron at the beginning of September, finished Flatiron at like halfway through March. And then it took me a few months to get the job, get the offer and get started.
0: I think there's a lot of people when they're making these types of life-changing decisions, uh, There's a, there's a lot that goes into those decisions and for the option of quitting work to pursue studies to change, there's always a question of how do you fund that? So I'm guessing you had built up savings enough for you to be comfortable with the uncertainty of the timeline.
1: Yeah, so I had built up savings. I was still freelance writing, so I was making not very much, but I was Something. making a little <laughs> money every month, and I actually, by that point, had a consistent client that I wrote for. So I, I was on her team, and it it was actually pretty consistent for a freelance type gig. And then my parents helped me, and I do always want to acknowledge. I had help. So they actually let me live with them. I gave up my apartment in Richmond. So I didn't have, you know, the rent and utilities expenses. And so then it was just, you know, the stuff that was mine that I needed. So, you know, housing, and housing was taken care of
0: for me. That's huge. That's a great, it's huge, huge help. It's, yeah. Yeah.
1: It is. It was a huge help, and it meant that, like, I didn't burn through my savings in the way that I thought I would have to. So, yeah,
0: huge, huge help. Yeah, that's great.
2: That's a good note about the scholarship too. That there's all that there's also, you know, uh, there's multiple options there for sort of funding uh, that might be available. Different things might be available to different people.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it it was specifically a women in tech scholarship, but I know they also have scholarships for other minorities and other boot camps also do programs like that, which is really, really helpful. So at the time we did it, Melissa, the online program was capped at $10,000 and it was a 50% scholarship. So I paid 5,000, which that's a really big difference. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. That when I was looking at different bootcamp options, one was it needed to be remote Mm -hmm. because I I wasn't going to relocate and I have children. I wasn't going to leave them (laughs) like fend for yourself while I'm at the bootcamp place for 12 hours a day. And then the other was the financial. and mm-hmm. uh, and obviously, I wanted a quality place, but the the combination of those three things in Flatiron and the scholarship was just huge. And you mentioned women who code earlier, they very often, not necessarily their organization, although there it is sometimes funded by them, but they often promote scholarships to different, whether it's a boot camp or a boot camp like thing that's under a different name. Uh, those types of opportunities. So if you're a woman looking to get into tech, I highly recommend you find uh, a women who code organization. and even if there's not one in your city, you can still be affiliated with them and find the one that's closest to you. I think you have to sign up under a certain city. There isn't one in my city. I, I think I'm out of Nashville because that's the closest. and get on their email list and pay attention to to their discounts section or I forget how they phrase it., uh, you can even get free tickets to, conferences sometimes i was able to attend a a uh, angular conference in atlanta through women who code they were giving free tickets oh cool so yeah i didn't understand any of it (laughs) (laughs) because i was so new uh to to programming and angular was i still don't really have any experience with angular but it was fun to go and to meet people and to just kind of sort of feel like i belonged in the space Mm -hmm. so it was neat i appreciated that that offering. So you started Flatiron. What did that curriculum cover? What did you learn through that program?
1: Yeah, so we did Ruby, Ruby on Rails, SQL, and then we jumped more front-end and went JavaScript and jQuery and then ended with React.
0: And when you, you said it took you about, what was it, about six months for the curriculum itself?
1: yeah it was
0: about seven yeah okay in hindsight whether did do you how comprehensive do you feel that their curriculum was looking back considering what what you learned there and what you needed to know in that first job you landed does that make sense that's a clumsy question
1: no that's good so the thing the thing about the boot camp and one of the things I always say to somebody considering a boot camp is or considering this kind of career change is like try it out first. So I had that year and a half that I did the free stuff, free beginner things. So I I felt pretty comfortable with HTML and CSS and and some JavaScript, really, and so the bootcamp was never designed or meant to start you from zero. Like there, there are just things that they expected you to know coming in, and and I think that's an important thing that maybe the boot camps don't advertise enough. Like. Like, maybe once you get signed up, they'll tell you, like, hey, you got to do these things. But sometimes they make it sound like, oh, you can come in here at zero. And to me, that wasn't the case. And so then you were asking, what was, like, the differential between what I learned there and what I needed at my first job? And maybe this is just my perspective because I was a teacher but the boot camp was never supposed to teach me absolutely everything there could be to know you know like that's just not possible and so a big part of what I needed from them was how to learn things And how to figure out like, okay, I have no idea how to tackle that thing that I'm being asked to do. Where do I start? Like, how do I break this down? You know, what, what questions can I Google to start figuring this out? And so like, at my first job, we used view JS. So I learned react. In the bootcamp, came into the job and had to use view which has some similarities but is just a different framework and so part of what i got out of the boot camp was like okay learn a new language from the very beginning like where do we start and like having react gave me some like the terms and the lingo and the things that I needed to be like, oh, okay. So with view, we're doing this thing, which is like this and react. And so I understand, you know, reactivity principles or whatever Because that, that was something that I had at least gotten a foundation in.
2: Gotcha. Well, one thing I was, I was curious about, or so was this uh this this was a program specifically for front end, uh, or was this uh, or, or no, yeah,
1: it's build as full stack. That's so full stack. we got the Ruby and Ruby on Rails and SQL part to be a you know more full stack. What I found, I don't know if you had a follow up question along with that.
2: Oh, I guess I was curious if one was the, if if Flatiron has other programs and then, and also like, were you considering other, yeah, uh, other programs? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, Flatiron, it's marketed as full stack. I think, you know, depending on where you get a job, like it could actually work out as yeah, I've got enough of a foundation to be full stack. They nowadays they have other additional Like options. And so I know they've got like a a data. Melissa, do you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's a data science. Sorry. Data science. They have a cybersecurity at this point. I think maybe one or two other tech, not specifically engineering, but tech related uh, topics, fields, channels.
1: Yeah. I think they might even have a design, like a UI. I think you're right.
0: So I check it out every so often, Yeah, I wonder what they're up to now.
1: I see something come up at that point. So this was now 2018. It was a long time ago. This is ancient history. So they only had full stack. That was the only option. And so most of the boot camps that I looked at at that point, they were full stack they weren't doing specializations the way some of them do now.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. And then, and I guess I am curious a little bit, uh, you know, we'll be talking about the, the job hunt, but I guess going into, or as you're going through flat iron, did you, did you have a sense of like that you wanted to be, you want, you wanted a role that was full stack or did you have like, you know, any preference for, front end back end or
1: I did not have any sense or preference really at that point was like we keep it open we apply for everything like you know we'll see what works out I did have the experience of like you know I built a couple projects and a couple things and so I like seeing things change on the page I guess Mm -hmm it. That's fun for me. But I I didn't really have a, I'm going to specialize
0: in this kind of goal. I've noticed, uh, well, notice might be a little too strong. I have a perception, we'll go with that, uh, that a lot of boot camp, camp, I said that funny, boot camp grads end up front end. And I, I think I just like from LinkedIn, you know, just people that we were connected to f- through Flatiron. I've known some people that have gone to other boot camps and most of the time, I can't think of a single exception, honestly, they end up as front end engineers, which is totally cool. But it, it, it almost seems like, yeah, you do get some back end knowledge, but there must be a focus in the curriculum more toward the front end. If so many people are ending up there, both personally and just from your interactions with with other folks you've worked with, is that perception consistent with what you've seen? So
1: the funny thing for me is I actually do know some boot campers who became back-end engineers, and I also know some who became quality engineers. And so... I feel like there's a little bit of variation, but the vast majority, I would agree, become front end. And I think, so I think my experience is shaped a lot by the fact that my first job out of the boot camp was at Pendo and Pendo had a really strict divide between this is front end And this is backend and like, oh, we don't cross over. We won't do this full stack business. Like no no, crossing of the streams. Yeah. If you are front end, you do not come into our space. If you are backend, you do not come into the front end space. And, Uh and the language is there. So the front end was always JavaScript based. The oldest part of the code was, like when they first started as a startup was angular js so like angular 1.5 or something and then and then we shifted into vue and the back end was in go golang so oh, it, it wasn't like we could say oh i know javascript so i can come in there and write in your node land like it was totally different so we we didn't cross which You know, the experience that I had at Flatiron, really, it was a lot of time spent with React at the end of it. And so people see React on your resume and they're like, hey, great, you could be front end. This would be excellent. And Pendo was dealing with some actually really complicated data. Revelstoke is too. So like maybe it's just everybody deals with really complicated data. I don't know. But Pendo had some really complex data to deal with. And they were more open and willing to be like, hey, you finished a boot camp. Great. Come on in as a front end. Like show us what you can do. They were more willing to take a chance on a boot camp grad in a front-end role where in a back-end role they had like such a long list of requirements even for an associate role like that very first role the list of requirements was so detailed that like that's just not the experience you were getting anybody that was getting from a boot camp so the one person that I do know that did a boot camp and was a back end, they had actually been in tech before they did the boot camp. Mm. So like a, a very different circuitous kind of path, but that's how they ended up in that role.
0: Interesting. Do you I'm asking for your pure speculation now? Cause I've thought about this a lot, probably more than is useful. Actually, any pondering on this isn't very useful. As far as the why, like why so many boot campers end up in front end. Do you think it's that more companies are willing to take that chance on the front end, like you just mentioned, versus the the back end? If well, one, if it's not Ruby on Rails on the back end, it is a completely different back end structure. And that may be a bigger leap for a boot camp grad at their first role, then react to view. So I asked a question and then I kept talking, so I'll re-ask the question. (laughs) Do you you think it's because more companies are willing to take that chance on the front end for somebody so brand new versus taking that chance on the back end? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I absolutely think that that's the case. And at Pendo, I spent a lot of time interviewing to hire people to work at Pendo. Not, like being the interviewee and i i was so involved in all of these interviews that i got involved in like rewriting the job post hmm. and, like what are the requirements that we ask for in this job post And like, I was like, this is trash and this is, you know, we don't need this, you know, all of this. So I got involved in that. I got involved in redoing our interviewing process, all of that. And like on the front end, we were really able to like as a group get together and say, okay, an associate engineer, what associate front end, what do I need from you? And like everybody was willing to say, you got to know some JavaScript. (laughs) That's it. That's it. And we expect like, you got to know JavaScript, which means you know HTML and CSS. And like, it would be really nice if you had some experience with a modern framework like Reactor View or Angular, not the old one, the new one. That would be nice. But if you don't have it, we'll teach you and it's fine and like on the back end they couldn't get it stripped down to that point mm-hmm. um, and so they were still looking for things that really you're not getting in a boot camp you're only getting with a cs well you're not getting with a boot camp so mm-hmm. they proved that they had it by having a cs degree
0: mm. I had a question and it just flew out. Oh, you, when you say associate, cause there's different terms at different companies, would that be like the entry level that that would be your first entry level role? Okay. Yeah. So
1: actually at both companies that I've worked for, it's been associate, which is the entry level junior but they call it associate front-end engineer. And then there's just front-end engineer, which is the mid-level and then senior.
0: So on the, the back-end crowd appendo who couldn't strip it down enough for the role to actually be reasonable for a, a new person, as an associate level, how do you, th- again, speculation, do you think it truly is that the needs for the back-end were so complicated it really isn't a good first step, or... Was that back-end crowd just not willing to say, okay, we're willing to teach you these other things. This, You just need this base knowledge here, and we'll fill in the gaps from there.
1: It's interesting. Like, It's an interesting question to me. And I can't... It is entirely speculation because I wasn't in those
0: meetings. <laughs> Very fair.
1: But I... I sat in on interviewing interns. And so we had a class of interns that we were hiring for, and they could they could say, I'd like to be back-end or I'd like to be front-end. We, like the cybersecurity, they get separated out at Pendo. So, you know, it was back-end or front-end for this set of interns. And I sat with, you know, Our associate level engineers who had been hired in the past year. So like, you know, we were doing this back in the fall. And so whoever had been hired in the previous year, like sat in on these intern interviews. And they're the ones who decided like, okay, what does an intern need? To have a good experience for them to be moderately useful to a team, you know, like the intern doesn't have to be pushing massive amounts of code and redoing databases or anything like, but, you know, it needs to be a good experience for them. So what do they need? Like, what are we going to ask them to do? What's useful? And even that, like, the thing that stands that I remember is one of them said, look, they need to be able to write APIs. Like, go, okay, I don't think I did that <laughs> at my boot camp. I don't think I've ever written an API. I've consumed plenty. Like I, I know how they operate, but mm-hmm. I've never written one. And so like, that's the divergence that I, that I was, Therefore, and then I saw, and yeah, I I don't know if I don't know if it's something that hey, with six months of mentoring, you could take the kind of experience I had with Flatiron and be an amazing backend engineer. I don't I don't know how much I was missing, you know.
0: Well, thank you for playing my game of speculation. I appreciate
1: <laughs> it. I'm like, I would like to caveat this and say, like, yeah. Pure speculation,
0: and you not were not allowed to cross the streams, know. so.
1: I'm not saying anything bad.
0: <laughs> and it's, and I mean, your experience is at Pendo, but I think that this whole conversation applies to a lot of places, right? Because if it's true in general, that bootcamp grads end up in front end, there's a reason for that. It's not just a Pendo thing. It's a e- almost everywhere thing. And I'm just curious, which is why I have a podcast, <laughs> you know, the reasons behind that and maybe somebody going to a bootcamp really wants to be back in. So it's helpful to be aware of the, the poll maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and if you want to be back in, it, it may be a little bit harder for you to get that first role and you may have to do more as, outside of the curriculum to fill in those gaps, so you can write an API or whatever else they're wanting you to jump through whatever hoop. So just awareness for folks that they know they know what they might be facing as they job hunt, which is an excellent transition, I think, to job mm-hmm. hunting. Yeah.
2: So, do you want to talk us a little talk us through bit? Like, so we 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 know that you you ended up at Pendo uh, initially after Flatiron, but uh, what was that, uh, or, or how did you kind of? get started in the job hunt
1: yeah so one of the things besides you know the three factors that we've talked about before about flat iron one of the things that i thought was great was they paired you with a career coach and you know that variety of experiences come out of that depending on who your career coach is but just the fact that they, you know, had thought through like, okay, do we know you're going to want a job and we're going to work to support you? So we've got people there whose job is to support you as you job. That, that was something that was really appealing to me. So I finished like towards middle, end of March, and then like officially started my job hunt the 1st of April back in 2018. And yeah. So how did I... So long ago. (laughs) So long ago. That's what tripped me up. Like, oh dear. Um, So like the way we approached that, Flatiron really had a specific, these are the things that you will do as part of this career coaching section and they kind of set it up as like here's more curriculum here's how to get a job and I was like cool let's do it so they had things like making contact with a certain number of people every week write a blog post every week do algorithm practices and like work on projects and so part of it was like still work on your coding skills. And then part of it was like, do the networking, like get this thing rolling so that you're really networking. And I feel really fortunate that I was in North Carolina at that point because North Carolina has actually quite a robust tech hub. And so, oh, and this 2018 was the before times, So there were meetups in person and I went all the time to all these different in-person meetups and, you know, I would just talk to people and they would be like, oh, where do you work? And I was like, I'm looking for a job right now. And they'd be like, okay, like my name is this, shoot me an email, send me your resume, you know, whatever. So like, I will acknowledge with that, that the world's a very different place and like it was just a different setup. And so like I launched into like all of those requirement. Nobody's gonna be able to see my air quotes. I'm like air quoting requirements that Flatiron had. And I was just like, okay, well, I will I will go about this the way you say to do it and set the network and apply for the jobs and see what happens.
2: It's, uh, I just want to call it, it's the second time you talked about finding community. You know, you talked earlier about uh, uh, women who code and, and reaching out to them and the support you got there. And then meetups are another form of support. And previous interviews we've talked about there's also, you know, people can get involved in like open source projects, and you can see, you know, how other people organize code and stuff like that. So I, it's it's good to hear that that call out. And I think it's, uh, I I don't know from my perspective, it seems something that's a little bit maybe more prevalent in the tech industry, maybe because of the nature of of the work that it's it's uh, seems easier uh, or more accessible to to jump into to find a group and jump into it. So for those that are. That are going through that process now. It uh, uh, seems like a, a, a big recommendation to find to find those kind of groups.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I like my experience with the Women Who Code chapter in Richmond was so positive. Like lovely, wonderful people that were just so encouraging to me, and like you know, they would be like, Oh yeah, I've been in tech for 15 years and you can do this, you know? And it was so amazing to have that. And so then, yeah, it was kind of a variety of meetup groups that I went to here. Same kind of just wonderful encouragement and like people were so willing to like chat about what they do and like what their job is like. And you know, oh, can I connect you with this person? That would be great. Yeah. Yes, and please. <laughs> please. Um, and actually, like, you know, I, I did those meetups a lot, you know, that year and then kind of the first couple of years that I was working. And, you know, then like pandemic. And so I haven't been very involved. But my current job I got because of a connection that I made through those meetups. And she, my manager, Susan reached out to me and, you know, I know her because she ran a meetup group
0: years ago. Right. You, you mentioned years, this to me when we first chatted. Yeah, yeah. Years ago. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I have found the tech community to be, incredibly supportive and encouraging. I mean, there's always going to be people that aren't, but overall people are so willing to help to offer introductions, to, to give you a referral to like, we want you in this to succeed. You know, what can I do to help you succeed? So for the introverts and I'm raising my hand, nobody can see it. It, it's it's hard to reach out but it's uh, it's definitely one of the most welcoming communities professional or otherwise that that I've definitely engaged with mm-hmm. so you interviewed or you, you went you you fulfilled all of the flat iron requirements uh, air quotes how did interviews go for you how how many if, if you can recall, cause it was a really long time ago now, like how many companies did your interview with? What did that look like? Walk us through that.
1: Okay, so this was hilarious to me as I was reading your questions and thinking about this. I was like, I have no idea, but I have a spreadsheet. Cause you're an engineer. Yeah, and it was a flat iron requirement. <laughs> that too, that too. So I actually went back and pulled up this spreadsheet and I was like, wow. Like, it is, you know, over a hundred rows of contacts. And I was like, wow, I did not remember that. And so I knew, like, the standout ones are the ones that I kind of got, you know, into the interview process with and, like, not just a contact. So there were four or five companies that I got actually into interviews with and I felt like they all had a really like standard interview process and so like talk to a recruiter first and then if that's fine you go on and like it's some kind of test so whether it's a take-home or whether somebody sits with you but it's some kind of coding test and then you've got more interviews and then you know, they might have another round of that or not. But like, I remember sitting and doing a coding test for Epic Healthcare, like not Epic Games, but health the healthcare company. And like, they, they just asked stuff that I had never seen before in my life. I had no idea what to do with it. And their, like, the website that they sent me to do the test on looked like it was 1990. And I was, you know, I finished that, and you just feel so discouraged. You know, like, oh, I don't know anything. I, this is never going to work out for me. And so, I, you know, you have to... No, that's only one thing. Like we'll see what they say about it. You know, you have no idea how it really went. So let's stop the spiral and (laughs) let's let's focus on you know the next thing. And yeah, okay. I'm gonna stop rambling
0: there. (laughs) No, that's great. (laughs) everybody's going to get to that point where they just feel like they have totally bombed and they feel like an absolute fraud. So I'm glad that you shared that. And it, it, it's just one data point. It's one company. There's lots of companies that one might not be the good fit. And, and that's okay because you're looking for a fit for you as well where you're going to feel challenged, but comfortable stepping into this company and this culture. So if you don't feel like a fraud yet, folks, it's coming. It will happen, but you're not a fraud. It's just a temporary feeling <laughs> and you just need to move on. Yeah. So there, all the processes were pretty standard. Pendo, obviously you got an offer from. Did mm-hmm. you have any other offers from from any of the other processes?
1: No. And I I looked and like that one with Epic. I got Got a rejection.
0: A Standard, <laughs> really thank you. We'll keep your resume on file. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And then, like, just the timing-wise, I had the offer from Pendo, like, a couple days after I had done a first-round interview at SAS. And so, you know, I I could have said, hmm. Let's see if SAS will like speed up the process and like, you know, if I can do something to move on this before I have to accept Pendo's offer. But I I felt like I was so early in that process that it wasn't something I wanted to wait for. And I felt like the offer at Pendo was really great and that it would be a good company to work for. So I was really happy to get it.
0: That's awesome. And and if you don't mind sharing, what what did that offer look like financially?
1: Yeah, so it was 70,000 as a base salary. I got like 4,200ish stock options. So they they were ISOs, which Still is kind of monopoly money. Because Pendo, so what has to happen is they have to IPO for those to become real options. And they haven't yet.
0: Or be bought out. But I think with Pendo, they're seeking to IPO, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So Pendo now is eight years old, pretty well established. And so what they talk about is IPOing. I think what they s- say is if they were going to be acquired that needed to happen four years ago so anyway they've they've just turned into a big company at this point so I, I did get the stock options and then there was a bonus structure which I think which like got prorated that first year that I worked there because you know for their fiscal year I'd been there like six months of it and so that wound up Oh, and it's all based on like sales numbers and you know accomplishments. and if the company's doing well, the full amount of the bonus is paid, but mine was prorated. so it wound up being like twenty five hundred. Okay
0: that's a that that's a pretty, I think standard but also solid first first, I don't know how to say it, boot camp new boot camp grad salary, at least from from what I've seen.
1: Yeah, it was a really solid offer. And even comparing with other people who graduated at the same time we did, like, it was a very solid offer. And, you know, a company that's based in North Carolina, headquartered in North Carolina, doesn't have to pay like San Francisco salaries. But it was still a very competitive salary
2: so i want to, one thing i wanted to to just to echo you you mentioned earlier about uh in the the, the in, in getting the offer and and having like multiple interview processes because usually unless uh you get lucky you you don't get them all to line up time wise and so uh i know in my personal experience i can say that uh it, it's it's a a non-trivial percentage of the time uh, either, either offer can't be made or an offer can't be accepted be strictly because of the timing of things that it, you know, we can't like start dates can't line up or just the, the length, the length and speed of the process, you know, uh, prohibits it. So it's, it's something, uh, uh, it's, it's good heads up for those that are, are going into that, uh, that process that it, it may happen, right? Like you, you know, you, one thing that may, may not be obvious is, uh, when you get the offer, there's usually an exp- expiration date tied to it. So you, you have to make a decision uh, within like usually a week or two. And, and sometimes you can ask for some flexibility in that, but, but, uh, but it, it's not uncommon for that to happen. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes you, you can get multiple offers, but you kind of have to, kind of have to be lucky sometimes to get that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, my sister works as a career counselor, And so she's got stories about like, you know, she knows this person who lined up four offers at the same time. But I don't, other than her stories, like I don't know anybody personally who's able to do that because the interview process for tech jobs is often multiple rounds. Like in my experience at Pendo, it was you know trying to line up these specific people to interview you and so you have to find a time that they're all available to do that and like it just it's actually a pretty complicated even just scheduling wise and so then you know you're at stage two with this company an offer with this company and just like trying to get something on the calendar with the third company and so you decisions just have
0: to be made the stars need to align for (laughs) that to work i think it's more it seems to me i just finished a a degree program and i think when you like enter like a new grad funnel from a traditional education standpoint you're kind of i think it's a little bit easier to time those things because all the companies are hiring around the same pace and you can play off of each other because they know they're all competing for the same pool of students. But I think when you're kind of ad hoc interviewing and there's no like standard funnel,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's, it's definitely more difficult to time those.
1: Yeah, I agree. And which means it impacts everybody for your second job. Onwards, <laughs> you know. But yeah, doing a boot camp, you're often ending at a not traditional time, and so you wind up, you know, being at various points in that process.
2: Then, so uh, you, you accepted the offer at, at Pendo, and you you uh, you, you join them. How long into the role uh, uh, did you did you go along until you felt like You know, you kind of got situated and you were contributing.
1: It actually was fairly quick. Endo has, you know, an onboarding system. And so they got me a buddy and he helped me set up my whole computer and explained, you know, the whole process of, okay, you're going to take a JIRA card and, push a PR and, you know, these are the things that you do. And and so like really fairly quickly within the first, well, it wouldn't have been the first week. The first week is just set up your computer (laughs) and get a local version running. And so then it's like, okay, if you have some time the first week, like poke around in the app and see what you can see. And so then the second week it was poke around in the app and see what you can see. And then my onboarding buddy was like, this is a small bug that you can fix. And I was like, okay, yes, I can. And so, you know, I don't remember what it was, but it was some small thing that I'm sure had been hanging around the backlog forever because it just wasn't that important. And, you know, he used it as, okay, here's how you look for what's happening. Here's how you like reproduce this kind of error um, on your machine. Here's how you like start poking around to fix it. And then like, here's a PR, here's how you get code reviews, that whole side of the process. And so like I did start pushing code probably by the third week. Very small things, not really contributing highly to the efforts of the team. But that was, you know, the end of June. And then in August, I got moved to a new team and that was kind of like, okay, let's all go. We're all starting this new project all at the same time. And so we're gonna set this up and we'll all work together on it. And so within three months, I was working on the project the whole team was on and when i'd been there 6 months they were like great now it's time for you to lead a project here you go wow so yeah yeah which i will say to that like pendo gave me a lot of opportunities i had a really good tech lead in her name is jordana she was really great at Giving all of us on the team, and me especially, opportunities to lead things, to try out something new, to if we felt like we wanted to experiment with something, she would be like, yeah, go ahead. And so they were, they were very supportive with that. So yeah, I, I was leading projects that were very visible within six months.
0: <laughs> what was the first project you led?
1: The first project was to redo the nav bar. Yeah, it's something that absolutely everybody sees and it touches every part of the app. Yeah, that was my first project.
0: <laughs> wow! Perfect. Yeah, nice. yeah. Oopsies, there are uh, seen and felt by everybody. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> <It, it, it, laughs> deal. <laughs>
0: so you were you were at Pendo in total for quite a few years. What did your career trajectory look like?
1: So I was there a total of three and a half years when i so when I started, I was that associate front end role. after I had been there a year and a half, I was promoted to mid level and then just before I left, so back in November, I was promoted to senior. so I yeah. And kind of the, sorry, that was a bad transition,
0: but. We're good with bad transitions. Okay. So you're fine. <laughs>
1: the The thing that I was going to mention with that is I started talking to my manager about being promoted to mid-level after I had been there for a year. And it took six months to actually get that to happen. And there were a couple of things that he was like, I'd like to see more of this from you. And I was like, yeah, great. Okay, I can do that. No problem. And But then there's also just like the bureaucracy of it. Like Mm. paperwork has to happen and things have to be done and all of this. And my, my tech lead, Jordana, like when the promotion finally went through, she was like, oh, my gosh, finally. <laughs> this should have happened, you know, eight, nine months ago, a year ago. Like, this is ridiculous. You, you've you been performing at this level for a really long time, Emily. And I was like, oh, I wish she had said that a year ago. Because <laughs> I didn't know. Huh. And I don't know if this is being a woman or imposter syndrome or, you know, all of those many factors that play into it. But like my male manager and I were not talking about promotions for me, not until I was the one who said, I want a promotion. Mm -hmm. And it felt like he was talking to my male colleagues about promotions but he wasn't talking to me. And if my if my tech lead had said sooner, hey, are you talking to our manager about this? I would have been like, oh, oh, that's on me. Okay, cool. I will, we will chat, you know? And I I don't know that anything would have been different. I, I genuinely have no way of knowing that, but it is one of those things that like,
0: Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. I have, I have been reading a lot recently about kind of how developers, how engineers can set themselves up for career success. And one of the pieces of advice is when you start a new role, one of the first conversations you should have with your new manager is clearing the air about what is, what is the promotion process? What does that look like? What is the timing? What is expected of me to to get promoted? And it's not like you're asking to be promoted tomorrow. It's just asking for clarity so that you and so that your manager understands this is what you want, because not every some people are just fine where they're at. You know, so the manager knows you're ambitious and you're looking to grow. And then, you know, clearly it's communicated clearly, hopefully documented what the steps are that are needed to get that promotion rather than kind of falling into it because it's way past time. And then it's the wondering, I wonder if, had I said something sooner, would this have happened sooner?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, at the time Pendo was going through their, like, let's put a process together and let's have documentation. and So you know, when I first started those conversations with my manager, it was, he busted out like a career framework that was a draft that like (laughs) the managers were discussing. So it was something like it didn't exist prior to that and leadership was working on it. So, you know, depending on what state you're you know, stage your company's at, you know, when I started at Pendo, there were, there were 50 engineers, they just didn't have a career framework yet. So It depends on what stage they're at, what the documentation will be like, but at least people know what you're thinking, and you can know what they're thinking. And so it's, it's always a good conversation to have and you don't have to wait for some certain milestone to happen in order to have the conversation
0: yeah
2: yeah yeah I agree like it's i would i would venture as much to, as to say it's it's on it's on the the manager to, to to have those but at the same time living in reality right like managing up is is a reality right like uh the, no, no manager is perfect. And so sometimes it's, you know, as Melissa said, sometimes you, you kind of have to, and, and, you, and you said like, you kind of have to initiate uh, the conversation, but it is important because like what's even worse uh, and it's happened to me on previous jobs, which is that you get to the yearly performance review and the feedback is a surprise, right? And uh, so if if you haven't if, if you or your manager haven't been having those, those kind of conversations before you get to your, your review then, and if that's the surprise, then it's usually the surprises are not good surprises. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good, good. Like you said, John, good managers will take the initiative there. Nobody, I don't think anybody should be relying on the hope of having a good manager. Like I think everybody needs to own, I think Matt, one of our other uh, interviewees talked a bunch about this. You need to own your own career. It's not, yes, it's the manager's job to help your career, but no, it's also not the manager's job to help your career. Like it's your job to manage your own career and have those conversations. And hopefully you have a fantastic manager who is doing what fantastic managers do, but Ultimately, I think everybody needs to take ownership of their own decisions in the workplace and and how you interact. And it's way better to know early on that you have a manager who's not going to advocate for you so that you know that with eyes wide open. And if you choose to stay, you know what you're in for. And if you choose to leave, you can make a better decision and find a better scenario. But to yeah, I, I think... It's scary, especially when it's your first job. Like, I, you know, I'm so thankful to have a job. I feel like I fooled you all and I'm here now <laughs> and I can't have this conversation. But no, you need to have the conversation and you do it humbly and you do it, you know, recognizing that you're new, but you just, you want to know what it is that is going to be required of me to grow as an engineer so that my income also grows.
1: I love that own your career. And I was gonna say that too, like it is yours. So in the exact same way that you get to decide, do you wanna be front end? Do you wanna be full stack? Do you want, you know, do you wanna run down the cybersecurity path? Like, like you're gonna decide what levels you get to also. And so like, it's yours, you get to decide. So have the conversation and yeah, I'll leave it with that.
0: I think we all agree. Yeah. Yeah. So looking, I want to chat about your new job a bit, but but looking back on your time at Pendo, what was really great about the Pendo engineering culture?
1: So one of the things that I that really attracted me to software development was that people get to work on a team and get to work together and as a teacher this sometimes surprises people that I say this but as a teacher you are alone it is so isolating you walk into that classroom and it is full of people who are not on your side (laughs) Um, they're like you are you're just alone and At the level, because I was teaching college, you're on your own to decide what you teach too. So, you know, there's no standard curriculum there, you know, there's very little guidance and requirements there. So you're, you're very, very on your own and alone. And so I was really attracted by this, like, hey, we have a team and we work together. And Pendle was great at that. I had really amazing teams that like, I liked my teammates as people, like as humans, we cared about each other. And then like, we cared about the work and wanted to work together on it. And so like, you know, in the before times we were in person, they have a headquarters here in Raleigh. We did actually work in an office together and so you could turn around and be like i don't know what to do with this thing what do you think you know and you'd sit and talk about what we were all working on and so it's all of this sharing all the time but even after we had to go remote it was a quick ping and like hey jump on zoom hey i don't know what to do with this thing can you just like look at this for a few minutes with me? Cause I don't know where to go. And that like that, you know, it built that community. It gave us a sense of teamwork. We had a shared purpose and that was really great.
0: It's awesome. Well, with every pro there's a con. So what was the most challenging aspect of Pendo? The
1: thing that I would say is like, the constantly shifting priorities and so sometimes we were given a project and like we'd get halfway through it and they would be like nope we don't want you to finish that we're going to pull you off that work on this thing or we got a really strict deadline of like well <laughs> If you can finish everything else in two weeks, you can keep working on that thing. But two weeks, uh, you're up like it. No more after two weeks. So whatever you finish in two weeks, like it's got to be shipped. And so just, the, you know, constantly switching, like you spend a long time planning for something and setting it up and, you know, vetting it and figuring out an architecture for it and all of that and then get pulled away to work on something that you haven't had time to plan. And so that, like, for me personally, that was always a little bit of a struggle. Like,
0: how much of that do you think was due to being in a startup versus not every startup is like this and there's some cracks maybe in the the planning. I
1: think a lot of it is a startup. I think a lot of it is you know changes in what leadership thought was important, which some of that might be coming from like customer feedback, which is great like let's incorporate customer feedback, but some of it might just be like know somebody thought this other thing would be cooler
0: (laughs) Um, and coin flip that morning the wind changed directions
1: yeah or (laughs) you know or they they were presented a plan and thought it would only take this long and it turns out it's taking you know twice as long and they didn't think it was worth the twice as long time frame. So yeah, a lot of different reasons I think for it, but you know, if like the last project I was on for the six or seven months before I left, that project actually got pulled and they're not finishing it. But you know, it's something we thought was important enough to work on for seven months. And so then you're like, oh my gosh, all this work I put into this thing, (laughs) which you can't take that personal. It is not personal. It's just the work. But, you know, you have to get to the point that you're like, oh, no, right, right. I'm not taking this personal. Okay, this is fine. This is fine.
0: Just throw out the last seven months of my life. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I thought we were doing well with this. As you... Oh go ahead John.
2: Sorry. I I just could say yeah, I that's happened to me both at a startup and a big company. So it it, it can happen
0: anywhere. anywhere
2: and for for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with the quality of the work. It's just it's it can be the market, it can be budgeting, all sorts of things that are, you know. So yeah, yeah, that's a, it's it's a difficult thing of not taking it personal, right? And like being mm-hmm. like okay, on to the next thing. Yeah.
0: As you look back, so when you left Pendo, you were a senior, you came out in as a junior slash associate. Looking back over that span of time and the jump between associate and mid, mid to senior, what are the maybe characteristics, skills, what is it that differentiates a mid level from a junior and a senior from a mid level?
1: Um, so kind of the way Pendo approached it was junior, um, you're learning. It, you know, everybody falls into that and is just like figuring out what's going on. What, and that, that's learning the language that we're using. It's learning our code base. Um, And, you know, whatever tricky things might be lurking there. Um, It's learning um, how to test your code. Um, So we used Cypress for automated testing, but also like just, hey, you made this change. What are the kind of places you need to look to make sure you didn't just break five other things, you know. So all of that is kind of where junior falls. And then mid-level, the way that we looked at it was you are contributing more to the team. So the team is starting a new project. You weigh in on, you know, different things that you know about that area of the code. You contribute ideas to the team. You can point out like, hey, we should think about, you know, this thing that might be a potential pitfall, you know, or whatever. We at Pendo we started doing mentoring. And so mid-levels did a lot of mentoring of junior and interns and So that was another area where, like, this is you contributing to the team. It's also you, like, taking on bigger pieces of work. So, you know, instead of, like, sticking with the small chunks, maybe you take on something that's project level, and you're building out a feature with, you know, multiple parts and moving pieces. And then getting to senior... That was about being a leader on the team. And so taking a project and leading it from start to finish and looking at like, oh, okay, this is a project I need to talk to our product managers, our designers. We need to figure out how we're going to split this work up in a way that makes sense. And then like leading distributing that work out to your teammates, keeping things kind of running on track with a project. So yeah, it really became about leading different projects, stepping more into a leadership role, and then also like being involved with the company more than just your individual
0: team. That makes sense. And... This is here for bad transitions. So you're now at remind me of the name of the company because I'm going to butcher it. Revel Stoke. Revel Stoke. I was going to call it Revel something else. Revel Stoke. What did you jump there as a senior level? Yes. And what what is your role there, and how does that senior everything you described at Pendo as what what makes a senior engineer? are you seeing similar expectations at Revelstoke?
1: Yeah. So I am senior level at Revelstoke also. And as I came in, I'm on a front end team. So teams at Revelstoke are divided very differently than teams were at Pendo. So my team is The front end team. There's now five of us. I was number four to join. So it's a big difference to be at a company this much smaller. And we've, I say this much smaller, we have 30 engineers, but it is still a lot smaller than Pendo was, especially six months ago. And anyway, so as a senior on this front end team, I divide up work so that idea of taking a project and writing cards for it like I came in and that was the first thing that I was asked to do was to take this project that we're working on and start dividing up cards based on the designs that we were given and then it's a lot of well I don't know this is expected or if I just took it on but it's mentoring so we have we have my manager and then me a mid-level and a junior level and so I've I've worked really closely particularly with the junior level near just as a mentor just you know Working on different things, pairing, talking through like, okay, how would you tackle this card, you know, this piece of work and, you know, just trying to set that up. So we've got like a team that functions well together. There is of course a code writing component.
0: <laughs> oh, code. <laughs>
1: you don't oh, say. I do still do that, which is so great. But yeah, I... I write a lot of code every day, still. So, it's
0: what good. what tech stack are you working in now?
1: We actually use Vue.js. The transition was we're using Vue three, and at Pendo we were still on Vue two, so that was a little bit of, you know, there's substantial enough changes that you're like, oh yes, I have to do this this way now. But that's been it's been nice to have. The background in view, and we use GraphQL and Apollo also.
0: And what does what does Rebel Stoke Security do?
1: So it, we are a cybersecurity company that is building. We call it a SOAR platform. So it's SOAR stands for Security Orchestration Automation Response, and it's, it's a platform where we integrate with different tools that fire cybersecurity alerts. So, like, if you've got a firewall, your firewall is generating alerts and telling you if, you know, something goes wrong. Probably The thing people are most familiar with is phishing. So, if you've got any modern email... <laughs> Mm -hmm. They, They actually are screening for you a lot of phishing attempts, even if you've never set anything up yourself specifically, like your Gmail is screening a lot of that out so you don't have to deal with it. But it fires alerts. And so we create integrations with those tools to give cybersecurity analysts an easier place to see those alerts and to manage them. And so we give them a place to like, just ingest the alerts, but then they can set up an automation to say like, oh, Gmail fired that thing. Yes, clear that out of everyone's email across the entire company. I want nobody seeing that. And we're setting up a platform where that can all happen automatically.
0: That's pretty cool. I, I saw I think this was on Twitter and this is a tangent tangent, but if it's gonna bug me if I don't share it because I thought it was hysterical. Uh, a, this somebody working for a company, their internal security folks were running like tests basically to see who falls mm-hmm. for phishing attempts. And they sent out an email that looked legit saying, you know due to the rising inflation inflation and gas prices, everybody's getting a $30 gift card every month to help with commuting costs. Click here to retrieve your your card. And it was totally a, you know, internal test for phishing and the guy clicked yeah. on it. Next thing he you knows, he gets an email from whoever internally, you are now signed up for a security class cuz you just fell for the phishing attempt. <laughs> I thought that that's was awesome. funny. <laughs> Disappointing. I mean, can you imagine like the excitement to be like, oh, some relief from gas. And then, yeah. oh, no, I have another meeting to go to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, that's pretty neat. A little bit. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could have, but it has to be believable, right? That's what yeah. makes them dangerous, yeah. is it's got to be believable. Yeah. yeah. So, what prompted the change? to this new company you mentioned that a prior connection reached out which i think Mm -hmm. it's so impressive that she remembered you from numerous years ago walk us through your decision to to change companies at this point
1: yeah so i have loved pendo really don't have anything bad to say about it in case that wasn't clear. I had such a great experience there. But when you look at this industry, there is value placed on having a variety of experience and staying at one place, even as I switched teams and did different things, like it wasn't adding to that kind of variety that I feel like I need. And so that was the reason for the change really just looking at like okay if i want my career in this to last until i'm 67 like like my department chairs did you know how do i make this a good robust well-rounded career and so yeah it was just looking at okay i need need some more experience i need to try something different and this is still a front-end role. So there are similarities, but it's a whole different industry being in cybersecurity. And it's it's interesting how much, like, you have to think about different things just because of that, like, cybersecurity aspect of it. So I have been learning a ton.
2: It was, you know, just... Uh... Uh, real quick one thing on that was i guess maybe it's because of the generation that my father grew up in but like i i had gotten this strong impression about you know like like him he had worked for like a single company for many many years uh and you know it, it, where uh you have pensions and stuff like that it makes it makes some sense right and then when i started at my first job and i asked someone sort of what the average tenure was and they're like "Oh, about four years and i was just my eyes just blown it was way different so i was just like i was like oh wow but it, it but it's true right like uh you know but to your point they're like it's it's uh it's a pretty at least in the tech industry it's a healthy thing to go to just get exposed to even if it's the same kind of role and the same kind of job, just to get exposed to different ways that people design their systems, design their stacks and and how they operate as teams and stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's interesting for me because like you said, there's a generational difference, but coming from academia, like (sighs) Mm. people stayed, you know, like, my first job, I had tenure, I could have stayed forever, you know, and they would never have gotten rid of me, (laughs) but that's, it's just a difference in what's valued. And like Melissa, you mentioned going to a conference. I went to a conference probably my second year of the job. An in-person conference, you know, that's a little different. And you know, just was chatting with people, and this one man I was talking to was like, "Oh, how long have you been at your job?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, it'll be—it's almost two years, almost two years now." And he was like, "Oh, so you're looking for your next thing." (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he was like he was very much like it is time to go and wow. I was like whoa not ready yet I, I don't feel like I've got my feet under me yet but yeah he very much and he said like he had been in the industry 10 years 15 years and he was like my first job they were like stay here two years and then it's time to go you need more experience. So you've got to go try something different. And I I thought that was interesting. And, you know, from his perspective, I stayed far longer than I should have. But it was a, I thought it was still a valuable experience for me.
0: All right. So it's our lightning round, which never actually works out that way, because people elaborate, which is totally cool. But I we've can, got some you know, standard question. What's that? I can try to be lightning. (laughs) I I think, I don't know if John came up with this idea or I did. I really don't remember, but whoever, whichever one of us did, in my mind, I'm picturing like a game show. You know, it's like the lightning round in whatever game show. And you got like three seconds to answer, but whatever. It's all good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, thinking back to when you were first interviewing, do you have any advice for folks on handling those interview nerves?
1: Yes, Amy Cuddy did a TED Talk about power posing. Yes, and you are meant, one of the power poses is you stand like Wonder Woman. So hands on your hips, you know, all of that. And stand like Wonder Woman for two minutes before your interview. And it changes, listen to the TED Talk, it's great. Changes all kinds of hormones, she gets into the details. But it. Even if like that doesn't happen, like hormones and stuff, even just taking two minutes to like, okay, I'm good. I got this thing. I'm going to rock it. Like repeat something in your mind of like, I'm amazing. I'm awesome. And, you know, it, it really did help me.
2: That's great. What is the worst work mistake you've made? that you're willing to share?
1: So I did actually cause a SEV1 once, which at Pendo, we had severity levels and it was like a DEF CON scale. So like SEV1 was not the worst because a SEV0 is the worst, but the sev ones means you tanked the app on, for the customers. And so I, I did do that once, just once, but the the ones that like stand out in my mind as like uh, cringy are the communication mistakes and so like I was given a bug to work on once and everybody was like yeah Emily you can take this one it's fine and this was probably within my first year of working at Pendo and they said yeah take this bug no big deal and I didn't understand that it was crucial and that people were waiting for it to go to prod within like 2 hours. I I didn't understand that part. And so it was just a total miscommunication and I I know if I had asked the questions or if I had, you know, known to do something different, like it wouldn't have gone that way, but it was, you know, after 5 p.m. on a Friday and they were like, Are you still working on that? And I was like, Uh yeah. I I don't have it fixed yet. Because I didn't
0: know they were waiting. So yeah, communication is uh it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I'm a big fan of over communicating.
2: Yeah, definitely always yeah. clarify the due date. When when is it due, right? Like
0: <laughs> the expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What is something you wish you knew when you were starting your career in tech? Uh,
1: I think I'll go back to that own your career. So there's a lot of options. There's a lot of considerations and decisions to be made. So take the time and explore and decide what you want
0: out of it. I like that.
2: And uh, for someone that wants to get started, Uh, down the path of being a front-end engineer, uh, what advice would you have for them?
1: I mentioned this kind of briefly before, but my advice is always try it out for free before you get committed to something. Just test run. There's plenty of resources out there, and it gives you the chance to see if this is something that you're interested in, that you could like or enjoy or like even stand to
0: do before you get down a path too far. Very wise words. What is the most interesting non-tech fact about you?
1: I read more than a hundred books every year.
0: That's the English teacher in you? <laughs> yeah, or something. <laughs> <laughs> what's your uh what's the best book you've read this past year? This year, I guess.
1: I actually jotted a list because I thought that would be your follow-up question.
0: Ah, I I was trying to piece those. So for (laughs) listeners, we we always share, John and I share ahead of time what questions we're going to ask. So nobody's blindsided. And on this question, there's a list of like phrases and I'm like trying to piece this together and I'm like, there's some good story coming. So go ahead, (laughs) tell us these books. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So my quick list of like five-star reads from this year, The Lincoln Highway, by Amor Tolles. It was gorgeous. A Ghost in the Throat, which is kind of a memoir, nonfiction. It was about an Irish writer. It was amazing. These Precious Days, which is a book of essays by Anne Patchett, and The House in the Cerulean Sea, which they're calling Uplit. So, positive, happy,
0: just a great story. It was really sweet. All right. So people got some books for their book list.
2: <laughs> and if uh, people want to follow your work or your future five-star reads, uh, where can they follow you?
1: <laughs> okay. That's excellent. Follow me on Goodreads for my five-star reads and I'll send you all the link for that because I really do post reviews on Goodreads. And otherwise, I'm mostly just on LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. Well, Emily, it's for me personally, it's been great to catch up. We we emailed back and forth a few times since Flatiron, but, but this has been so great to hear how your career has gone. I'm so thrilled that you've been so successful. Uh, it's really a, a joy for me to see. So thank you for your time and sharing your experience with our listeners.
2: Yeah, this is great.
0: Thank you. This has been so fun. I cannot overstate how much I love interviewing people. It is so much fun to get to ask questions, learn about someone's background or catch up with an old colleague, and just have an excuse to talk to people. This interview was a blast. John and I really appreciated Emily's time and her insights. We definitely agree with Emily's approach to trying out programming before really jumping in with any kind of financial obligation. There are a lot of free resources out there. Emily mentioned Codecademy. That's a common one people use when they're first testing out whether they're going to enjoy this. Launch School also has a very excellent kind of a pre-curriculum course both for their Ruby track and their JavaScript track. All of their program, their whole program is very excellent. I'll link to them in the show notes as well. But I think it's just really wise. This may be a significant life change, a significant career change, and to spend some time testing it out. Do you like doing this? Because if you pursue programming or if it's data science as a career, you're going to be doing it for 40 or more hours per week. So make sure it's something of interest to you before you jump in. And how neat that she went from being a college English professor and she's now a front-end engineer. It really shows that background is not a precursor to succeed in this industry. There are very excellent programmers or data scientists that come from all sorts of backgrounds. So I hope you enjoyed listening to this interview as much as John and I enjoyed conducting this interview. Next time, tune in. We're gonna talk to a data scientist who made his own career shift and did that through higher education at the university level at a graduate program. So we'll see you next time.